All right, Jabosai, good morning. Let us let us begin. Let's begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's share. To thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of ER, Yonah and Shoshi Ehrenfeld, for dedicating the Shurim in memory of Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron. To thank Benjamin and Elise Wall of Netanya for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of Moshe Chaim Ben Tzvi Hirsch. We thank our Dafyomi sponsors, David and Malki Kramer. Lezecha Nishmas Larissa. Kanayeva. It's actually a pretty amazing dedication. Who lived most of her life in the USSR, but lived her last years with her husband as a proud Jew in Baltimore. When her husband passed away before her, she would have been eligible for Khalitsa if it was not for the fact that all of her husband's siblings were killed in Babiyar. Incredible, incredible. So we hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, all of these precious Nishamas will have an Aliyah and the family Zainachama. And with that, let us begin. So we have a lot to do today. Baruch Hashem, today's daf is Samech Dalit. We are picking up on Samech Gimel Ahmed Beis, 63b. Really a lot to do today. So we are picking up in the wide lines, in the wide lines, three lines in. So really towards the top of the daf. The Ma'arova, in Eretz Yisrael, Kinosiv Inish Isisa. When a man would marry a woman, Amrile, they would say to him, Hachi, they would say to him the following, Matzah or Mozah? So essentially they would ask him, how's it going? Right? How's it going? Matzah or Mozah? What does it mean, Matzah or Mozah? Matzah dechsev, Matzah isha, Matzah tov. Is the marriage going well in fulfillment of the Pasuk that a man who has found a woman who has found, is found good? Or Mozah dechsev, Umotze ani mar mimaves esa isha. Or is it motza, right? Or motza, which means, right, according to the Pasuk from Kohalas, I found something more bitter than death, a wife, a reference to a bad marriage. So this is an Eretz Yisrael. They would say, is it motza or is it motza? Amar Rav, Rav said, Isha Ra, Mitzvah Rav says, if a person is married to an Isha Ra, and again, I both say we discussed what an Isha Ra is in yesterday's daf, there is a mitzvah to divorce her. Dichsev, garash latz v'yatsam adon, v'yishpoz din v'kalon. Suppose that this in general is a fascinating idea. The idea that the Gemara telling us, and it's actually really quite profound, that as much as we speak about the integrity of marriage and the integrity of the home, there are certain times, oops, sorry, there are certain times where perhaps marriage is so negative and so toxic and so corrosive that it may actually be preferable to end it than to sustain it. An interesting, an interesting idea. So the Gemara says, "I what happens?" I'm a Rava Ishara Mitzvah And again, and I, I can't, I can't say enough. Remember, when we speak about Ishara, it's easy to say that the Gemara is going ahead and laying the blame for the toxicity of the marriage at the feet of the woman. But remember, again, we keep going back to yesterday's daf, where the Gemara told us that very often the nature and quality of a marriage is a reflection of the husband's spiritual standing. So he might be calling this ishara, right? And again, seemingly blaming the woman for the dissolution of the marriage. But Lamaisa, we can't ignore the fact that Chazal themselves said, marriage, something's going bad in the marriage. Husband, take a look in the mirror. Where are you holding with your ruchnios? So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says as follows. What happens if halacha Lamaisa, a person is married to an ishara, but she has a very expensive ksuva, which means he can't afford to divorce her. So tsarasa betzida. The Gemara says, ultimately, sometimes the most effective way is to marry another woman, which is an interesting etzah. Right? In other words, marry, marry another woman, because we'll say perhaps, again, the competition in the household will force the ishara 
to perhaps adopt a different approach in marriage. Because people say, Sometimes you could accomplish more with her friend than with a thorn. The idea being that the thorn representing divorce, the friend representing a second life. A difficult wife is as difficult as a stormy day. The Kamara Ishara. So Rava says it's amazing the contrast. See, see how beneficial an Isha Tova, a good wife, is, and how difficult, how difficult a difficult wife is. So listen to this, Rava said. So Isha Isha Tova, I'm sorry, I'm going to go into Kamara Ishara. Kamatova Isha Tova. The Pasik says, as we've been quoting, a person finds an Isha, finds good. Now, Bosse, here's what's interesting. This is Machlokas as to what the Pasik is referring to. Ibigava, if it refers to an actual wife, Mishtai Kra Kamatova Ishatov, Kray Kamatova Ishatova Shakasa Mishabcha. So you see how good a good wife is. Because the Torah itself, or the Pasik itself, right? But the Pasik itself is ultimately being Meshabach, is praising her. Ibit Torah Mishtai, and I will say, interestingly enough, some interpret the Pasik of Matzah Isha Matzah Tov to not be referring to a wife, but to be referring to Torah. And if it's referring to Torah, Kama Tova Isha Tova Shatara Nimshalaba. You see how profound having a good wife is, because Torah itself is compared to a good wife. So the Gemara says, Ishara, what about an Ishara? So the Gemara says, Dikhsev umotza animar mimaves esai isha. Pasik that we said before, I found something more bitter than death, a difficult wife. Ibigavamishtaikra. So ultimately, if the Pasik itself was actually referring to a wife, Kamara Ishara Shakasav Megana. So ultimately, again, you see the Pasik is pretty explicit about how negative, how negative a bad marriage is. Ibigahenam. And if it's referring to Gehenna, because we will say again, so you have, you see this interesting machlokis, you see this opinion that says that the Pasuk is referring not to a bad wife, but rather again, Ishara is really Gehenna, then Kama Ra Ishara, Sha Gehenna see how terrible a bad wife is, because Gehenna is compared to a bad marriage. So we'll say, see, either, either way, the idea that the Gemara is trying to highlight is, you see how much emphasis the psukim are putting on the quality of a marriage. That if a person is married to a good wife, a person has a good marriage, and that could be as sublime and as beautiful and as spiritual as Torah, and a person is locked in a bad marriage, that could be as terrible as Gehenna itself. So when the Pasuk says, I'll bring upon you something terrible that you will not be able to emerge from, that could be a metaphorical reference to a bad marriage, but again, with a very expensive ksuva. So the very expensive ksuva, the husband may not have the financial ability to extricate himself from that marriage. It's interesting. Others say in Eritrea, they said, this is a pasuk that refers to someone who relies on money to buy his food. Now, say, now what, what does that mean? So remember, this, this is a throwback to yesterday's daf, where the Gemara extolled someone who has land, right? The ability to be self-sufficient, at least in a food sense, 
right, to be self-sufficient in an agricultural sense where you could go ahead and, you know, take care of your own food. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. So the idea that someone who has to rely on his money and therefore the fluctuation of prices and availability ultimately for food supply, so the Gemara calls that a certain level of klala. So says, your sons and your daughters will be given to another nation. This refers to a stepmother, to a stepmother. That sometimes, again, if it's not the biological mother raising the children, but instead it's a stepmother. So sometimes the Gemara says there could be a roll of the dice who the father chooses to remarry and whether or not that'll be a beneficial relationship for the children. Coming back to this, to this example of a difficult wife, a difficult marriage with a very expensive ksuva. This refers to the tzedukim. So we'll say again, according to the passage over here, literally again, I will agitate or anger Klal Yisrael with a foreign nation or a debased nation. So this refers to these nations. They walk around naked in the marketplace. It's obviously an unrefined, more barbaric type of people. Apparently, again, it's considered to be amongst the most debased behaviors to walk around naked in the marketplace. Rabbi Yochanan says, this refers to the Chabarim. I will say the Chabarim, Rashi says over here, are Parsi Mishan. They are Persians. Wicked Persians, Rashi says. So the Chabarim apparently were like a some group within the Persian people who were who were especially demeaning, dismissive, and oppressive of the Jewish people. So it's an interesting story. I'm really Rabbi Yochanan. Asu Chabari Lebavel. Since Rabbi Yochanan, the Chabarim have come to Babel. Shaga Nafal. Rabbi Yochanan, upon hearing this, kind of doubled over and fell down. Rashi says, Kafaf Tsar. So he was so pained by the arrival of the Chabarim that he doubled over and fell down. So he said to him, But good news, they can be bought off. Good news, right? You can bribe them. You can bribe them. So Tar is Yasiv. So he was able to sit up straight, right? In other words, the fact that they could be bribed was the source of Nechama. Gazru al Gimel. Ultimately, the Chabarim came in and they made three decrees against the Jews. And Rabbi Yochanan understood Mipnei Gimel. The three decrees of the Chabarim corresponded to three areas of laxity of the Jewish people. Gazu ala Basar. So they, very, very interesting. So they decreed, they decreed on Shechita. Well, isn't this fascinating? We think that decrees against Shechita, right? Laws like banning Shechita are new things. They're not new things, right? People's targeting ritual slaughter is an old practice. So ultimately, again, so they went ahead and they were gozer on Shechita. So Rabbi Yochanan said, do you know why they were gozer on Shechita? Because Jews were not careful to go ahead and give the Matnos Kahuna to Kohanim. Now, we'll say, now remember again, it's actually very interesting. We think about Matnos Kahuna as a function of Karbanos. The truth is, technically speaking, whenever you shecht an animal, you're obligated to give the zroa, the lechaim, and the keva, the foreleg, right? The foreleg, the chest, and ultimately, again, and the stomach to the kohen. That's matnos kuhuna. 
Smatla skuna. No, no, I'm sorry, not the chest, the, the, the jaw. Right? The jaw to the coin. That's part of matna skuna. So Yochanan felt that because we were lax with matna skuna, therefore, again, they were gozer on ritual slaughter as well. Gozer ala merchatzos. They ultimately said you can't go ahead and use the bathhouses. Mevneatvila. Because the Jews were lax with immersion in a mikvah. Kamechatate shachvi, they're exhuming dead bodies. This says, because the Jews participated in the Yamim Tovim of the Gayim. Right? They were besimcha on the Yamim Tovim of the Gayim. So, because of that, Akadish Baruch Hu gave them another day of Avelos. Because you must remember again, there's a halacha that if someone is buried and then exhumed, the relatives are obligated to observe Avelos on the day that the body is exhumed. This comes up, I'll just say just in halacha, this comes up with what we call likud atzamas. Let's say you want to transfer the grave. Whenever we bury someone today, we always tell the Avelim, bury with a tenai, bury with a condition that if you want to move the grave at a later time, let's say you want to move the remains to Eretz Yisrael, you have the ability to do so. The day in which you go ahead and exhume those remains, ultimately there's a day of Avelos. So therefore, again, Rabbi Yochanan understood that halacha lamaisa, the Avelos, they were exhuming the dead because the Jews celebrated on the Yom Tovim of the Gaim. Sometimes because of the sins of the living, the dead are exhumed. So we'll say the government, the Gemara quotes the Pasuk here. Quotes the Pasuk from Yermio, and the Pasuk says, all right, Literally, again, they will not be collected, they will not be buried in silence on the earth. So we'll say, the Gemara feels the Pesukim are contradicting each other because one Pasuk seems to indicate that death is a, is a peaceful relief and the other Pasuk says that it's not. Amrlei, so the Gemara says, which one is it? It's referring to the Rishayim that for the wicked, death is better than life in this world because at least in death, they cannot make terrible mistakes. Kasav b'sefer ben Sira. The Pasuk says in Sefer ben Sira, a good wife is a great gift, is an incredible gift for her husband. We'll say first of the widest lines on the bottom. Anishara, a bad wife, is like tsaraas for her husband. My takante, so what's the takana, what's the remedy? Divorce her and be healed ultimately from the tzaras. We'll say, so once again, I can't say enough, you have all of these competing themes. The Gemara, our Gemara seem to seem, you can walk away with the impression that if the marriage is in a state of disrepair, it's the wife. But remember again, we keep going back to yesterday's Gemara, where dysfunction in a marriage is often reflective of a husband's state of spiritual disrepair, right? What Chazal are telling us, is that sometimes marriages can't be fixed, right? I will say, unlike other religions where d- divorce is a sin, right? Judaism is very much against divorce, to be very clear, very much against divorce, right? The Gemara Mesech's Gideon Mizbech is Morid Maus, right? The Mizbech cries when a Jewish couple gets divorced. But sometimes, sometimes certain relationships cannot be fixed. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. So you see Chazal indicating that, that sometimes divorce is the answer. But again, I will say, 
that's only after all other options have been have been exhausted. All other options have been exhausted. So the Gemara goes right to Isha Yapa Ashrei Bailok Mispar Yamav Kiflaim. Suppose it's actually a beautiful Gemara. If a man is zochet to be married to a beautiful woman, and again I will say the Pashib Shant is that it's referring to her physical beauty. He's zochet to be married to a beautiful woman. Mispar Yamav Kiflaim. It's like he has. I will say it's like the days of his life have been doubled. Have been doubled. So we'll say, if you look at Rashi, we'll say, if a man is privileged to be married to a beautiful woman, ultimately, again, he, he's, Rashi says, he's happy with what he has. It's such a beautiful Gemara. He's happy with what he has. And when a person is happy with what he has, then at the end of the day, he feels like his life has been prolonged. Literally, again, Rebbe will say, shield your eyes from a woman of beauty. Rebbe will say, this is referring to someone else's wife. Don't look at someone else's wife. Lest you be caught in her trap. Rebbe will say, now again, to be clear, this is not saying avoid looking at someone else's wife because she's going to entice you. It means is, don't look at someone else's wife because you're going to become enticed because we're human beings. Rebbe will say, this is so incredibly important that Chazal are teaching us, you know, sometimes we like to think that we're above certain temptations. People, we're, we're all human beings. No one is above or beyond any temptation. And the, when we get ourselves into troubles, when we think that we're beyond temptation, Mara says, don't look at other people's wives. Don't look at other people's wives lest you go ahead and get ensnared in immorality. So the Gemara goes right there. So, al bala and I will say, if there is a woman that you find attractive, someone else's wife, don't start drinking lechayims with her husband. Because again, that closeness to her husband ultimately could lead to closeness to the wife. And that could get one into all kinds of say, An incredible use. So you know what Chazal is teaching us? A person has to be careful with socialization as well person has to be careful with socialization because even sometimes what begins as innocent socialization could lead to immoral behavior. A person has to be on guard with immorality, especially in a situation where a person finds another man's wife attractive. Such an incredible yesod. So literally, again, many have found themselves pitzei rochel, receiving the, the punches of the spice salesman. I will say the, the idea being over here, it, it's interesting. Apparently like spice peddlers or perfume peddlers were often known to be immoral. Why is that? Because to this who are they selling spices and perfume to? Women. So they were often constantly interacting with women and therefore sometimes they got themselves into a little bit of trouble. Knitzutz ma'avir gacheles. I will say this is so profound. Sometimes there's like a spark that ignites the coal. See, Rebbe say, when it comes to matters of immorality, so sometimes, sometimes it's the smallest spark that ignites a fire of immorality. I say that's the assault something with Arias. That sometimes things that begin in an innocent way and things that begin in a non-immoral way, with not an illicit way, but sometimes the smallest spark could lead to the flame of immoral behavior. Kekalov maleof. Sometimes, again, just like the coop is filled with chickens or birds, sometimes life is filled with immoral opportunities. So we'll say, so again, that, that's the Gemara. We'll say, just 
And we've seen this theme and motif a number of times throughout our journeys in Shas, that when it comes to matters of morality, how careful we have to be to set up the right gedarin, the right boundaries. Because I will say sometimes, again, we make the fatal mistake of thinking that we are impervious to certain wants and desires and certain things. I would never do that. I will say, the, in life, there's pretty much nothing we would never do given the opportunity. And if we think that we wouldn't do certain things, it's often only because we're a bit delusional and think that we're stronger than we really are. But live life as if you're really not beyond any temptation, any temptation. And therefore, if a person lives life like that, they create the right kidarm, the right protective fences for themselves. A beautiful Gemara, Al-Tatsar, I'll say this, this is an underliner. Al-Tatsar Tzaras Machar, don't worry about what may happen tomorrow. Kiloteda Mayolad Yom, because tomorrow, you don't even know what today's going to bring. Shema machar ba Right? Because tomorrow may come, and you may not even be here. You may not even be here. Nimsa mitzta'ar ala olam she'in shalom. And it turns out that you're worrying about a world that is not even yours. I will say, what a profound, what a profound gemara. What a profound gemara. Right? Unlike the famous Ma'amar Chazal that says, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, right? So apparently, again, that is incorrect. That is incorrect. Stop thinking about tomorrow. Stop thinking about tomorrow. The Gemara says, what are you worrying about tomorrow for? For the old, right, what are you worrying about tomorrow? Worrying about tomorrow presupposes you have a tomorrow. Not to sound morose, but no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So what Chazal is really saying is like this. Instead of using all of your energy worrying about tomorrow, focus on maximizing today. Because today is what you have, right? Today is what you have. That's biyadcha. Tomorrow, you have no idea what's going to happen. And so many times in life, people worry about a future that they may or may not have. Nimsa mitzta'ir ala olam she'in shalom. It turns out you're worrying about a world that may or may not be yours. Today is yours. Now, we'll say, it doesn't mean that Chazal are telling us not to engage in future planning. Of course, you have to engage in future planning, but what Chazal is telling us is that so often we wrap up so much of our emotional energy and resources worrying about the future and worrying about tomorrow that we forget to maximize today. Incredible. So, mana rabbi mitoch beisecha, falloha kol tavi beisecha. Well, say, so listen, interesting. So count many amongst the members of your home, but don't allow everyone into your home. Well, say, isn't that an incredible yisod? Chazal telling us, have an open house, have an open house, and be the kind of person who's able to interact with many, but be very careful what influences you do allow into your home. I was about to say, such an incredible yisod. Don't just allow anyone or anything into your home. There's got to be, there's got to be a filter installed in the home. I don't say, you don't say, there's a filter for what I allow inside of my home. The Gemara goes on, Rabbi Darshay Shlomecha, Ultimately, again, I will say there should be many people who, are, who, who ask about you. In other words, be the kind of person who is necessary and impactful for the masses. But only reveal your secrets to one out of a thousand people. I will say, in other words, assume most, this is a good way to live life, assume most people cannot maintain confidentiality. Right? Don't, most, and that's absolutely, 99% of people will not maintain confidentiality. So therefore, again, you have to have someone who you could share your secrets with, but usually that person is one out of a thousand. 
we'll say we saw this Gemara yesterday, the Mashiach only comes once all of the Neshamas are emptied out of that chamber called the Gofshen Emar, Kiruach Melefana Yatov and Neshamas Aniasisi. Tanya Rebelezer Omer, Back to Peri Verivia. It's supposed to be incredible, right? Incredible Gemaras. All of these Gemaras are incredible. Back to Peri Verivia. So, um, so Rabbi Eliezer says, Whoever is not engaged in the mitzvah of Peri Verivia, it's as if he's spilling blood. Rabbi will say, once again, I keep going back to the idea, you see that whenever Chazal speak of Peri Verivia, what do they say? Osek. Osek. Because this goes back to what we started with on Sunday, which is, what's the mitzvah perivarivya? What's the mitzvah? Iskos. It's to try to have children, right? Whether or not they have children, that's up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Gemara is saying, if a person doesn't try, if a person doesn't try, it's as if he shofech dam, as if he spills blood. Shnei Amar, shofech dam ha'adam ba'adam damo yishapech. The person kills someone. His blood will be spilled, and it says right after his parashas Noach, it says right afterwards, the atem peru uravu. So, so the juxtaposition to the Mitzvah Pervarivya, to Shofech Dama Adam Adam, tells me that if I don't try, if I don't try to have children, it's as if I'm spilling blood. Rabbi Yaakov Omer, Kilu Memait Hadmus. It's actually beautiful. If a person doesn't try to have children, it's as if they're diminishing the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Why? Because every single person is a Tzalam Elohim. The more people there are, interestingly enough, the more manifest, almost the more presence of the divine exists in the world. So a person doesn't try to bring more presence of divinity into the world. It's as if they're Mema'it HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Incredible. Ben-Azar ben says about it. This is incredible. ben says, so Ben-Azai says it's both. If a person doesn't try to have children, so ultimately it's as if he's spilling blood and as if he's diminishing the presence of Hashem in this world. They will say, get ready for this Gemara. Amrulullah Ben-Azai. So Ben-Azai says this in the base Medrash. And they say to Ben-Azai, you know Ben-Azai, there are some people who know how to darshan well, they know how to teach Torah well, and they also fulfill that which they teach. They practice what they preach. Some people who practice in the right way, right? They live the right lives, but they're not necessarily effective or impactful teachers. You ben you you're a wonderful teacher, but you don't practice what you preach. I will say, Ben Azai was single. Ben Azai was single. He did not marry. So Ben Azai, you're just telling us all now that if you don't try to engage in Perivarivya, it's like Shofech, you're spilling blood, and Menai Tadmos, you diminish the presence of Akash Baruch Hu. Ben Azai, you're not a Doresh, Beautiful. Great Rasha. Great cheer. But Lamaisi, you're not practicing what you're preaching. Well, let's see, look how beautiful this is. Ben Azai, Ben Azai says, What do you want from me? Shenafshi chashka batora. I'm in love with Torah. And I'm consumed with Torah. And I don't have the bandwidth for any other relationship. Absolutely incredible. So the Gemara says, Ultimately, again, my role is to learn the world will be built up through other people. 
They will say absolutely overwhelming Gemara. If you look at Tosis, just a moment, Tosis says, She's Kaima de Acherim, Afa Gabnasha, Perak Afa P, Shenasa Bito, Shrabi Akiva, Tikamasa Bart, Shrabi Akiva of the Lele Ben Azai. So we'll say, listen to this. Here's the problem. You have an alternate Gemara in Ksuvis that says Ben Azai did marry. Who did he marry? He married the daughter of Rabbi Akiva. Of Rabbi Akiva. To which, so how do you reconcile this with this Gemara? To which the Gemara says, It must be he married her, but then he subsequently divorced her. And therefore, again, our Pasuk is once again when Ben Azai is single. So said, this, this is a fascinating Gemara because it creates this model of, not paradigm, but model of Nafshi Chashkaba Torah. And Nafshi Chashkaba Torah means someone who is so consumed with Torah that Torah almost becomes his spouse, right? Torah becomes his relationship. This is a full, full, cons- being fully consumed with Torah. Let's say, we'll tell you, interestingly enough, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins this way. And the Shulchan Aruch says that if someone is like a Ben Azai, where nafsho chashka batorah, he does not have an obligation of peri of arivia. Then I will say, obviously, that threshold, I think it's kind of unimaginable. It's not talking about a guy like who's learning in Kolo, right? This is not talking about a guy who, you know, learns morning, Saturday, afternoon, Saturday, has a chabruz at night. This is a person whose entire life is consumed by Torah. I don't know how many other people like Ben Azai there are like that, but, but Lamais, and someone who feels, someone who feels that he doesn't have room because of because of Torah, doesn't have room in his life for any other relationship. The Shulchan Aruch says there is such a patur like this, is such an exemption of Rivya, the Ben Azai exemption. We'll say just absolutely incredible. Okay, let's go back there. Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. Uh, good. So there has to be an existence of at least 22,000 Jews for Cheshmaruch to rest upon Klal Yisrael. We'll say that's ultimately, again, Alpha, so Shuv Hashem Rivavos, Alpha Yisrael. So why is this important? So we'll say, I'm just giving an extreme example. What does it mean if someone is not Osik Beperi Verivia? Someone doesn't try to have a family. That there might hadmus that they diminish the divine presence in the world because you could have like okay it's a bit of an exaggerated case but let's say assuming we accept this this premise you could have twenty you need twenty two thousand Jews in order for the shechina to rest upon Klal Yisrael and now what happens let's assume for a moment there's twenty two thousand minus one minus one and then Ruvain who could have been Osig Rivia doesn't have a child doesn't have a child it turns out that he's literally being memait hadamus. Okay? So the Gemara says, If a person doesn't try to have children, he's chayiv misa. When the Torah recounts again their death, the Torah adds in this phrase, 
they didn't have children. So there is a school of thought that Nadav and Avi were held accountable because they never tried to establish families. Ha, You can infer from this, had they had children, they would not have died. Person who doesn't try to engage in Pirvarivya causes the Shekhinah to depart from Acharecha. When you have offspring after you, then the Shekhinah is with us. If there is no if there is no offspring after you, so Ami Shora. Who is the Shekhinah going to reside upon? On the trees and on the stones. And therefore, again, one is obligated to engage in Pirvarivya. So we'll say, this concludes the sugya. Actually, I take it back. It does not conclude the sugya. We have one more piece. But, we'll say, but this concludes the first part of the sugya of Pirvarivya. And again, I will say, obviously we're doing it quickly because it's Dafyomi, but I would urge you, go back and hazard these Dapim because besides that, there's incredible halacha. All, again, I will say, if you want to see the whole Pirvarivya once again, Evena Ezer, Simen Aleph. It's all in there. All that you'll find, all of these halachas, and again, the beautiful Ashkafa associated with Pirvarivya as well, as well as the definition that I will say Pirvarivya is not the mitzvah to have children. The mitzvah Pirvarivya is the mitzvah to try to have children. And as long as one is trying, ultimately they're fulfilling the mitzvah. The difference is once you have, we paskin like Basilel, a boy and a girl, you're allowed to stop trying. However, even after you fulfill the technical mitzvah of Rivia, we've also established that there is an additional mitzvah of Sheves, which is general population of the world, which is non-gender specific, which halach requires a person to try to keep having children. Obviously, you know, we'll say the halachas in terms of is a person at a certain point in time allowed to, try, to stop trying to have children. Again, those are all additional sugyas that are beyond the scope of our our. Our Gemara right now. Let's go weiter. Says the Mishnah, If a man is married to a woman, and they're married for 10 years, and they are unsuccessful in having children, The most means a husband has to fulfill the mitzvah pervrivia. Remember again, the mitzvah pervrivia is on the man, it is not on the wife. So if a husband has been married for 10 years, that's the duration, they don't have children, he has to find an alternate solution to have children. So I will say, so what are the alternate solutions? So Rashi points out, he could either divorce his wife, right? Or he can marry another woman. So the Gemara says, Girsha, if he divorces his wife, muteres li she is permitted to marry another man. Now, both say, now what does that mean? See, when the Gemara understands, the Mishnah understands as follows, that halacha if a couple is childless for 10 years, what the Mishnah is saying is, we don't know who, who the challenge resides in. In other words, who, who's, who, who, has, who has the issue? Who has the fertility issue? So therefore, again, I will say, the Mishnah phrases it that the husband is obligated to take action because the husband has the Mitzvah Pirvarivya. But we don't assume that it's the woman who has the fertility issue. Because that's, and therefore, again, upon divorce, she can get remarried. And who could she get remarried to? In other words, anyone. In other words, she can get remarried after 10 years of her first marriage to a man who also says them is a pair of rivi. We, we don't assume that the fertility issue is hers, so she can get remarried. And when she gets remarried, ultimately, again, I will say, and the second husband also has the same 10-year window with this wife, with this wife. So I will say, see, interesting enough, so if they don't have children, husband has to fulfill his mitzvah, so he has to do something, but we don't automatically assume that the issue is hers. Therefore, she's permitted to go in and get remarried as well. Vimipila, 
What if a woman was pregnant and then miscarried? So Mona Misha Shepila, the 10-year clock begins from the miscarriage. Now, this is actually interesting. In other words, if a woman is pregnant and miscarries, we don't say that a miscarriage is the equivalent to no pregnancy. So therefore, the 10-year clock begins from the time of the miscarriage. Says the Rosh an incredible Gemara. If a man was married to a woman and they were married for 10 years, and they just didn't have children, Yotzi, so he's obligated to divorce her. And Abel says, we saw, you don't have to divorce her, you could also marry another wife. But Lamaisa, he is obligated to do something to allow for his fulfillment of Perverivya. And he has to pay her ksuva. And Abel says, obviously, he has to pay her ksuva because Lamaisa, we don't assume that halacha Lamaisa, the inability to have children, is because of her. Shema lo zocha lihi banos mimena. So Abel says, because again, once again, we, we, we don't, because perhaps it was him. I was supposed to say, perhaps it's his zuchos that doesn't allow for children. In other words, the Rebbe said we don't penalize her in any way because it's just as possible or probable that it's an issue with him. Maybe he did not merit to have children with this woman. Even though, again, we don't have a raya. Well, so raya means I don't have a pasuk, like a mitzvah, like a, you know, a halacha to support this, but we have an illusion. I'll say, what's the scriptural illusion? Listen to this. So I'll say, remember again, the pasuk says, 10 years after Avram and Sarai came to Canaan, what happened? Avram married Hagar. He took an additional wife. Let's say so. So interestingly enough, the Gemara says, "Lelamdecha she'in yeshivas chutz la'aretz ola lo minaminyan." They both say this is wild. In the ten-year infertility clock, so living in chutz la'aretz doesn't count towards the ten years. Why doesn't living in chutz la'aretz count? Both say, "Look at Rashi. This is absolutely incredible." Rashi says, "Mikaitzes hashanim bal hagar." If you're living in Chutz Laaretz, the 10 years don't count. Why? Maybe it's because of the sin of living in Chutz Laaretz. Maybe that's why they're infertile. Wow. I will say, what an overwhelming Gemara. First of all, Rashi calls it the sin of living in Chutz which is a very, very, very overwhelming and strong lotion. And I will say, even if you want to say, ah, not everybody agrees, not everybody agrees, right? There's different opinions. I will say, the fact that Rashi even floats that phrase, the sin of living in Chutz that maybe that's the reason, maybe that's the reason they don't have children. So I will say, this is actually fascinating, because what Rashi is driving it is as follows. Why didn't Avraham marry Hagar or marry someone, right, in Padan Aram? Right, Avraham and Sarah were married for many years before they came to, before they came to Canaan. And obviously, they're not blessed with children all of those years. So the Gemara understands because Halacha Lamaisa, this idea of the 10 year infertility clock doesn't, doesn't apply in Chutzarts. Because in Chutzlar, it says what the Gemara is saying is there's another mitigating factor or there's another factor that may be causing infertility, which is, which is, the chait, the sin of living in chutzlar. So I'll say so profound. I'll tell you, I saw last night, I saw last night brought down that often, it's incredible, I, I never heard this before, that when couples would come to Reb Chaim, when men would come to Reb Chaim, right, Reb Chaim and speak about the fact that they didn't have children, Reb Chaim would ask them if they live in Eretz Yisrael. 
And if they said no, Rabbi Chaim would suggest for them to come and live in Eretz Yisrael. And he quoted this Gemara, quoted this Gemara, that perhaps, again, the source of the infertility is the hate of living in Chutzraz, which I will say is incredibly, incredible. So again, yeah, Rabbi Chaim literally dispensed Eitzah based on this, incredible. So the Gemara says, Lefichach, Chalohu O Shechal Sehi, again, what this also tells us is as follows. If he is sick or she is sick, or or they're both incarcerated, in which case, obviously, they're separated. So what you see from here is the same way, the same way that living in Chutz La'aretz creates a mitigating factor. Ultimately, again, that doesn't start the 10-year clock. So too, if there are other mitigating factors, Let's say he's sick and therefore can't engage in relations. She's sick, can't engage in relations. They're incarcerated, can't engage in relations. Salah if there are any other mitigating factors, the 10-year clock doesn't start. So I don't understand. Why don't you learn out a different paradigm from Yitzchak? They both say Yitzchak was 40 when he got married. I was only 60 when he had kids. So maybe that should teach us that you have a 20-year window, right? You're, you're learning from Avram Avinu that it's a 10-year window, right? Avram Avinu waited 10 years from the time that he arrived in Canaan until he went and he took Hagar. Why don't you learn out a 20-year window from Yitzchak, right? Yitzchak was married 20 years before he had kids. So maybe you're allowed to wait 20, 20 years. So the Gemara says, I'm going to Yitzchak Akar Haya. No, no, can't bring from Yitzchak. Yitzchak was sterile. Yitzchak was sterile. Yitzchak wasn't able really to have children. If that's the case, This is wild. Avram Avinu was also sterile. Again, we'll discuss where the Gemara gets this from. To which the Gemara says, No, no, no. I need the Pasuk by Yitzchak for a different reason. Why the years of Yishmael count? Ultimately, in order to give us lifespan of Yaakov. That's why the Pasuk brings down the years by Yitzchak. Because it's the years of Yitzchak that give us the tally of everyone else's lifespans as well. Yitzchak was sterile. Harali Yitzchak was sterile. Shenayamar vayetar Hashem lenochach Yitzchak. I'm sorry. Vayetar Yitzchak laHashem lenochach Ishto. So I said the pasuk is very important. Vayetar Yitzchak laHashem, which means Yitzchak. Yetar means supplicated, supplicated. He davened to Hashem lenochach Ishto. Rabosai lenochach Ishto literally means opposite his wife. So al Ishto lo neemar. It doesn't say that Yitzchak davened to Hashem. For his wife, rather again, Ella Lenochach. Now, both say what the Imam says, where Nochach means some level of what? Almost like equality, right? He was on the same level as Rivka, meaning what? That just as Rivka was infertile, so too was Yitzchak. So the Gemara says, They were both sterile, they were both infertile. If that's the case, then why does it say that Hashem answered Yitzchak? Right? It should say, He answered them. Because remember, again, they're both in need of the salvation of Hashem. Because you cannot compare the tefillah, ultimately, of a tzadik ben tzadik, to a tzadik ben rasha. Yitzchak Avinu is Yitzchak ben Avram. The tila of a tzadik ben tzadik and the tila of a tzadik ben tzadik is more powerful than the tila of a tzadik ben rasha. Leah Imenu, sorry, Rivka 
was a tzadikas, but she was the daughter of a rasha. I will say, incredible. That's why it's Yitzchak Avinu's Tfilos that carried the day. I'm going to be Yitzchak. I will say, profound Gemara. Mipnei ma hayu avasina I will say, why? Why? What a, what a strange Gemara. Avraham sterile. Yitzchak is sterile. Rivka is sterile. By the way, we're going to Sarah's also. What's the pshat? Well, what's, what's the pshat? Why? 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 Mipnei she'akadosh baruch hu mis'ave letfilos and shal tzadikim. Ultimately, again, because Hashem desires the tfilos of tzaddikim. Now, I will say, this is a famous gemara, right? Every kid learns this gemara in school. And I will tell you, at least personally, I've always found this gemara to be so incredibly troubling. So you're telling me that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives a person adversity and difficulty because he loves, he loves them, right? He loves their tfilos. He wants them to dive and he wants their tfilos so badly, therefore he gives them adversity. It sounds strange, it, sa- it sounds strange. It's like going over to my child, taking away my child's favorite toy, right? Taking it away because I love it when they come to me and they ask me for stuff, right? Well, what's, what, 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 what's the pshat? So I will say, continue on in the Gemara. I'm going to be Yitzchak. Lema nimshul tefilas and shal tzadikim. Oh, excuse me. Lema nimshul tefilas and shal tzadikim ke'ater. So I will say, remember again, the lotion of tefilah, that's used over here is Vaya'atar. So I will say Rashi points out that Vaya'atar is a lotion of like, for lack of a better term, like being persistent, being a nudnik. You know, not just davening once, but keeping on davening and davening and davening and davening until you get what you want. I will say Etar also means a pitchfork. Also means a pitchfork. So why the tefillos of tzaddikim compared to a pitchfork? What do you do with a pitchfork? Everyone knows what do you do with a pitchfork? You take the straw, you lift it up and you move it from location A to location B. They will say the tefillah of a tzaddikim is as powerful as a pitchfork. Meaning what? Kach tefillah and shal tzaddikim mehapeches midosov shal kodesh baruch hu memidas rakzonos lemidas rachmanos. They will say the power of the tefillah of a tzaddik is like the power of a pitchfork. Pitchfork takes things from one spot to another. So to the tefillahs of the tzaddikim have the ability to move HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Have the ability to cause God to change from the divine attribute of strict justice to the divine attribute of mercy. I will say that's the pshat. When it says that Hashem loves the tefillahs of tzaddikim, it doesn't mean that Hashem gives people suffering because he wants them there because he loves their tefillos. First of all, that sounds very self-centered, right? And incredibly just self-serving. What it means is HaKadosh Baruch Hu used the Avos and the Moos as the vehicle to teach us the power of prayer, the Koach HaTfilah. They will say, what can you accomplish with the Koach HaTfilah like a pitchfork? Tfila has the ability to change things. It even has the ability, Kiviyachol, to change God, not literally to change God, but to cause God to move from the Mida of Din to the Mida of Rachmanos. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu leveled such adversity at the Avos and the Mos, because he wanted them to show all future generations that with the Koach HaTfilah, you can affect change, and you could affect dramatic change. And no matter how adverse your circumstances may be, no one and nothing is beyond salvation and transformative cathartic change. The Avos and the Maos are akaros. They're sterile. They're sterile. There is no possible way in the natural world that they could have children. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them these circumstances, not because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting there for us to daven, because He wants us to show, He wants them to show the world, show people, 
Tefillah is not just a mechanistic behavior, such as something you engage in to check the box. Tefillah changes people. Tefillah changes the world. Tefillah changes the laws of nature. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu leveled against them these dramatic circumstances. And I will say, that's the power of the circumstance of the Avos Animos. Incredible. Amr Rabbi Ami, Avram Sarah Mut Mutmatin Hayu. I will say again, the Gemara is a bit hyperbolic over here. It says, well, they were tumtum. I will say, no, tumtum means that there's like a membrane covering the sexual organ. So I will say, so once again, the Marashah brings it out. It says, we understood literally. It's trying to highlight the fact that there was no possible way in the natural world that these people should have had children, right? There was, there was no possible way. So once again, means a woman without a uterus, right? Once again, no possible Ain la valad. Pasuk says Sarah was an akara, right? She was sterile. She didn't have children. Afilu base vlad ima. She didn't even have a base vlad, right? She didn't even have a uterus. So again, so that, that's the Gimar. So therefore, both say, let's just take a step back for just a moment. Our Mishnah taught us, our Mishnah taught us, we'll say, first of all, again, I can't say enough, I feel bad that we don't have enough time to do justice to a lot of these Gimaras, but I both say, the Gimara we just learned about Tefillah is so important, and I think it's, it's, I think it's the correct understanding of the Gimara, because the notion that a Kaddish Baruch who just makes people suffer because he likes their Tefillos, he likes the Tefillos of the righteous, that's not a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's not a Reibon Hashem who loves us. But they see that a Kaddish Baruch who visits difficult circumstances on people because he wants them to see and wants others to see the transformative power of prayer because that's a benefit for the rabbin. Suddenly, again, I see I could change my circumstances through tefillah. Well, see, let's go back to the beginning. Remember, the Mishnah taught us that there's a 10-year fertility window, we'll call it. The person is married. If after 10 years they don't have children, then the husband has to take action in order to be able to have children. Okay, so I'll say, we then saw, where does the 10-year window come from? Avram and Sarah. That when they come to, when they come to Eretz Yisrael, when they come to Eretz Yisrael, 10 years before Avram Avinu marries Hagar. Okay, then I'll say, listen to this. Back to that, back to that topic. So the Gemara says, So Amar of Yehuda, Rav Yishmu, The 10-year window, that was only said in earlier generations where they had longer lifespans. But our contemporary time, where we live, we live shorter lives. Right? Ultimately, again, it's not 10 years, but rather, what is it? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Now, what's two and a half years? Two and a half years represents three pregnancies. Three pregnancies. Rabba Amr Nachman, Shanim. Three years is the window. Keneged shalosh pekidos. Abbas is incredible because three years, you get three Rosh Hashanahs, right? Three Rosh Hashanah, right? Three new years. What's, what's significant about Rosh Hashanah? Dabar ma'ar be Rosh Hashanah nifkidu sara rachel v'chana. Because we'll say ultimately again, Rosh Hashanah is the day that HaKadosh Baruch Hu remembered barren women. It's the day that Sarah, Rachel, and Chana were remembered for pregnancy. So they both say, so therefore, again, you see a dramatic machlokis here. So whereas the Mishnah says 10 years, now this other school of thought says 10 years was once upon a time when people lived for very long times. Now it's a, it's a diminished window, two and a half years, three years. Some Rabbah, less than the Rabbah says, no, that's incorrect. The window is still 10 years. I'll tell you why. 
ultimately again, who arranged the Mishnah first white line? Rebbe. Rabbi made David imat shani. They will say way before Rabbi, way before Rabbi, in the days of David Amalekh, lifespans were already diminished. David Amalekh already said, lifespans are 70 years. At most, you get 80 years. So therefore, again, the Gemara says, when Rabbi codified the Mishnah, that was already reflecting the idea that lifespans are diminished, yet Rebbe still codified a 10-year fertility window. I see it says the Marabosa, second line, Vahai, Shema Lo Vedilma Ihi it's interesting because the lashon of the Mishnah was perhaps it's the man, the message of the Gemara was, perhaps it's the man who has not been privileged to go ahead and be built up through this woman. See the so the Gemara seems to say that perhaps the fertility issue belongs to the man. So the Gemara says, well, why don't we entertain the possibility that the fertility issue belongs to the woman? Maybe it's her issue. Well, this is actually fascinating. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, this is fascinating, from a Hashkafic perspective, because a woman does not have a mitzvah of peri if it's going to be withheld from one of them, it's going to be withheld from the man and not from the woman. In other words, the inability to have children, the Gemara said, might be more of a reflection of a spiritual issue, at least with the man than with the woman, since it's his mitzvah and not hers. Fascinating. Ini, is that so? Yet the rabbi said, Apparently, Rabbi Arbar Zavda wasn't married at the time. He was, was married before he wasn't married at the time. So they said to Rabbi Arbar Zavda, You have to get married and have kids. So Rabbi Abar Zavda said, if I would have, apparently he was married, if I would have had, right, if I, if I would have merited, I would have had children from my first wife. So, so the Gemara says, Hasam, in truth, in truth, Rabbi Abar Zavda was kind of just trying to deflect what the Rabbanon were saying. Why? Rabbi Abba Bar Zavda Iokir Mi Pirke de Rafuna. we're back to Rafuna Shir, right? The very long Shir. Right? So ultimately, he became sterile as a result of Rafuna's Shir. I will say again, this goes back to Sunday's daf, where we saw again these great Rabbanim. Rafuna gave apparently a very long Shir. No one wanted to interrupt the Shir by leaving to go to the bathroom. And as a result of, of not of holding it in for a long time, so the Gemara attributes their sterility to going ahead and holding back their urine. So the Gemara says, Rav Gidl, right? Rav Gidl also became sterile because of Rav Huna Shir. Rav Huna, Rav Huna really has to shorten the Shir. That, that's the takeaway. It's the takeaway message. Rav Sheisha Siyakim Perkei Rav Huna. Again, I will say this, this, Suskinta. So let's listen to this. So the Gemara tells Rav Achabar Yaakov, Acharate Suskinta. Rabbi said, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Suskinta, holy me otsrashos in the other So apparently he became ill with Suskinta. Suskinta apparently is also some type of disease that one gets from holding back their urine. Talyuha ba'arza de beirav. They went out and they suspended him. Apparently, again, the way you deal with this is suspending a person. And he had some type of green emission. And after that green emission, he was cured. Okay. There were 60 men in the shear, and all of them became sterile because of the shear Rafuna. 
Lebar me'ano. So what's Ravacha said? Ravacha Ravacha said, except for me, the kaimi benafshoi, because I went ahead and 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 followed the followed the advice. Hachokma techaye ba'aleha. Ultimately, wisdom will go ahead and sustain those who have it. So I will say, so it's not clear exactly what this meant. In other words, how, how, did, how did Rav Acha Bar Yaakov avoid this sterility which plagued everyone else? Either it means he went to the bathroom before the shear, or it could also mean that he went to the bathroom during the shear, that, that he did get up and, and he left. Whatever, whatever, whatever it was, it is interesting to see the high rates of sterility in the shear of Rav Huna. Pretty incredible. Says the Gemara, Gershem Muteres. So now we come to an interesting discussion. So remember again, the Mishnah told me that if a couple is married for 10 years, and in the 10-year window they don't have children, uh, the husband is obligated, again, to go ahead and fulfill Perivarivya. So there are two possibilities. Either he could take another wife, or he could divorce his first wife. Let's assume for a moment he divorced. So Reuven and Rachel, Reuven and Rachel are married, right? They have no children for 10 years. Reuven divorces Rachel. So the Mishnah says that Rachel is now permitted to go out and marry another man. Because remember, we do not assume that the sterility is her issue. And she can marry another man. When she marries this other man, she now has what? A new 10-year window. They both say the Gemara makes an interesting deal. Shani in, shlishi lo. They both say, what happens if Rachel marries a second husband? She marries Shimon, another husband. And now another 10 years go by and she does not have children. So you could infer from the Mishnah that as much as Rachel is permitted to go out and marry a second husband, she's not permitted to what? Marry a third husband. Why not, Rabbi So Masnisin money Rebihi. Our Mishnah reflects the view of Rebbe, namely that Chazaka is established after two times. Chazaka is after two times. After the second husband and being infertile for 10 years, she now has a chazaka that she is an infertile woman. Now, I will say, does that mean she can't get remarried? No. It just means that what? She can't marry a man who has to fulfill the mitzvah perivarivya. So if there's a man who's already fulfilled his mitzvah, that's totally fine. But Lamaisa, she would not be permitted to marry a man who still has to fulfill his mitzvah. The Sanya was an interesting case. Let's say again, following situation. A couple has a child, right? They circumcise the first child, Brismila, and the child dies from circumcision. Circumcise the second child, the child died from circumcision. So I'll say, so today, we know that this is a result of hemophilia, right? In the times of Chazal, they obviously we're not, but what we didn't know is, after the second child dies, and now they have a third son, we don't give a brismila to that boy. Right? We don't give a brismila. Why? Dear Rebbe, because Rebbe holds that Chazaka is established after two times. Rebbe Shikhan Shlishi Tamo. says, no, 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 we would give a brismila to the third son. So Revi'i Lo Samal, if the third son dies, Chas Shalom, then the fourth child, the fourth son, we would not give a brismila to. So Rebbe Rebbe says, Chazaka established after two times. Rebbe says, Chazaka established after three times. One second, Hanya Ipcha. But we learned just the opposite, because we learned, Hey, Nayu Achranaisa. Tosh Sigimar says, I'm sorry, but we learned just the opposite. We learned, well, so we learned that Rebbe holds three times, and Rabshigal Mio holds, I'm sorry, the Rebbe holds three times, and Rabshigal Mio holds two times. So I will say, so therefore, again, says the Gimara, so which one, which one ultimately, again, is ladders? Because also we assume that the latter one is going to be the authoritative one. So says the Gemara, which one is latter? So let's listen to this. 
there was a case of four sisters, case of four sisters in Sipori, and I will say the following situation happened. Sister number one had a son, circumcised him, he died. Sister number two had a son, circumcised him, he died. Sister number three had a son, circumcised him, he died. Ultimately, the fourth sister now had a boy. So she said to her, do not go ahead and circumcise her. So Rabbi seems to say that Chazaka is established after three times. Okay, to which the Gemara says, well, don't bring a right from here. Dilma, ki asya shlishis nami hava amrala. So we'll say, okay, so if that, we'll say, you can't bring a right from here, can't you bring a raya? They came to ask the Shaila at the fourth son. Maybe had they come to ask the Shaila at the third son, maybe what? Maybe ultimately would have paskined that way as well. In Cain, my If that's the case, ultimately again, then what's the edus? What is Rebchibar Abba really coming to say? Maybe he's coming to say that sisters create the chazak. I also have to stop over here for today. But again, what I just want to point out to you is we're going to end off with this piece that maybe familial chazaka could be established ultimately again through sisters. So I will say, for example, we're normally we're normally thought, we're normally saying that familial chazaka is established through one family. Maybe sisters could establish familial chazaka as well. I will say to be continued tomorrow. Shkoyach.